Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 12, and it's called the Beatitudes. So when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Every organization should have guiding principles, otherwise known as core values, that explains what they stand for. So I'm going to read a few core values, and I'm going to ask you to shout out loud if you recognize the organization that these principles or core values represent. We believe that we're on the face of the earth to make great products. Apple. All right. Right away you know. Um, Canadian company. Commitment to safety. Appreciative of our people and guests. Positive and passionate in everything we do. Think of a airline. WestJet? Yeah. Okay. And uh, it doesn't have to be a for-profit company. It could be a not-for-profit company. Housing for all. Access to safe, decent, and affordable housing is a basic human right that should be available to everyone. Ha Pardon me? No, not Ontario housing. Habitat for humanity. That's right. Habitat for humanity. That's great. Well, even countries have core values. And in um, Canada, we have a constitution that includes the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And these serve as our country's guiding principles, freedom of religion and thought, um, equality rights, the right to life, liberty, and security. Um, these rights are part of who we are as Canadians, even more so than hockey and donuts. But the church has a constitution too, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And the best known part of the sermon is the Beatitudes. And these nine Beatitudes shared by Jesus are meant to serve as guiding principles for the church. It was early on in Jesus' ministry. He had just recruited his first disciples and announced the good news and that the kingdom of God has come near, and this is what happened. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So Jesus sees the crowds, and he goes up a mountain, and his disciples come with him. 
and he outlines nine guiding principles. And these principles are called beatitudes because they each start with the Greek word makarios. And makarios could mean blessed, but also could mean favored or uh, well-off, privileged or fortunate. And Jesus tells his disciples, those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, are, for, are privileged. Those who are meek and hunger and thirst for righteousness, those are the fortunate ones. And those who are merciful and pure in heart and those who are peacemakers and persecuted, they're in fact favored and well off. In the Greco-Roman world of Jesus' day, and not like, unlike our world today, the ones who were considered privileged and fortunate and blessed were the rich, the powerful, the elite, the ones who had access to the temple or the fancy clubs of the day, the Mar-a-Lagos of the day. Jesus looks at his disciples into the crowd down below, and there he sees the weary faces of the oppressed, the blank expressions of the hopeless, the powerless of society, and he tells his disciples that these are the ones who are blessed. See, our society, including the church, often has a warped idea or sense of what blessing means. Uh, a, an American preacher down south, she wrote about a time when she brought her youth group from Atlanta on a mission trip. They were from a, an affluent church in Atlanta, and they went to Appalachia, uh, along the eastern part of the U.S., a region that's very impoverished. It used to be coal mining towns. Uh, the, the youth from her church had their eyes opened to people and circumstances they've never seen before. People living in literally paper shacks, children without shoes, strange food, strange language, strange dialect. But during the week, they, the youth reached out and they made friends with a local boy, a boy by the name of Duane, and they included him in all their activities. And by the end of the week at their worship service, they did an intercessory prayer. They prayed for the people. And they said, the youth prayed for the poor people of Appalachia. And this made Duane, their friend, their new friend, furious. He said, you all called me poor. I never thought of myself in that way until you just said it. I have all these woods to run around in. I've got a grandma and a grandpa who love me. I've got a shack full of rabbits that I can play with all day long. Does that sound poor to you? It don't sound poor to me. You all should save your prayers for someone who needs them. The youth from Atlanta thought they were the blessed ones because they had their iPhones and their iPads, and they thought and assumed that their friend Duane wasn't blessed and was missing out because they didn't have, he didn't have what they had. But much to their surprise, their friend Duane felt very blessed. Now, blessings aren't about material abundance, despite what you might hear from megachurches and those big-time preachers. Blessings aren't about feeling happy or about everything going our way. I remember a friend, a close friend of mine, um, he had a number of good things happen to him in a short period of time. He had a new job, he just had a new baby, he bought a new house. He was feeling particularly happy, and he said to me, I feel very blessed. And I've said it also in that context 
many times. But blessings are more than about happiness and feeling good. Blessings are about God's presence. It's about being open to God's presence and aware how God is present in your life and how, how much strength that can give you. And when do we often sense God's presence? It's often, sometimes in um, times of comfort and when good things happen, but most often for me, it's in times of challenge. And these are the times, I think, when you're blessed and privileged and fortunate, according to Jesus. Because it's when you go through hard times, it's when you suffer that you're standing on the doorstep of the divine. It's when you suffer that when you are stepping into the portal of God's kingdom. A Yale philosopher, Nicholas Wolterstorff, he wrote a book on grief after he lost his son, a 25-year-old son, tragically to a mountain climbing accident. And he said that the wound of losing his son will never go away but recalls that in the darkest throes of his grief and grappling after God, that he discovered and glimpsed the true nature of God. He wrote that through the prism of my tears, I have seen a suffering God. And loss and the suffering that results from suffering or from loss is not in itself a blessing but what can happen and what can be experienced, or sometimes the byproduct of loss, can be a blessing. And as a result of his loss, Dr. Wolterstorff saw the world differently. He saw the world through tears, and he said he was able to see things that he was never able to see before. You see, dry-eyed, dry he would look past people. He would never notice the pain or the grief in the person next to him. But through his suffering and tears, he somehow sensed other people's pain. And through this shared pain, he sensed God's presence. You see, we worship a God who came to us in human flesh. And to be human means, to be human is to suffer. And it's through our suffering, we feel what God feels. We experience what God's creation experiences and we move closer to God's very own heart. So how can these beatitudes or blessing serve as our constitution or as the guiding principle of the church? How can they shape you individually to help you move closer to God's heart? I think in one of two ways, when we encounter trying circumstances, I know I look out here and I see, you know, healthy or a relatively young congregation, and especially compared to, the, to my context in Aurora, but we all experience and encounter challenges, health issues, loss of a loved one, concern about a son or daughter, mental health challenges, your career or grades in school. There might be a sense of meaninglessness or a lack of purpose. We must be prepared to accept that there will be times in life, this is part of life, when we will suffer, when we will mourn, 
when we will feel powerless. Whether it's because of the decisions we made or because of things beyond our control. But suffering should never lead us down the path of victimhood. Instead, during trying times, we get together and we point out to one another the Beatitudes. And we claim these blessings, that we are blessed. Confident that with God, our struggles, our momentary afflictions, that what God offers us, his peace, his hope, his presence, is already with us and is eternal. And there's a second way that the Beatitudes can become more and more part of our identity. It's by recognizing, and this is a challenge, I think, when in our affluent, comfortable society here in the West, it's by recognizing that poverty that Jesus talks about isn't just out there at places like Teasdale, but it's right here in our hearts. A friend of mine attends AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and he's been dry for over 20 years, and the church I'm at hosts the Alcoholics Anonymous group, and he said to me that he goes there because he feels empowered. He doesn't feel judged, but he feels empowered because people are open enough, they recognize and openly admit that they are in need of help. They're in need of God and of each other. And I think in a snapshot, this is why we come to church, to recognize our own poverty and to admit our own need of help. And this recognition and admission are the first steps to blessedness, to God's presence empowering you. So as some of you leave and gather in Guelph and some gather at a March break high sea retreat and, or a men's night, even a poker night or a women's gathering, my prayer for you is that you take some time to look back and reflect how God has blessed you. Not only in good times, but especially in times of struggle. And that you leave this place every Sunday, feeling a sense of God's empowering presence that is with you. Will you pray with me? O oh God, through your Holy Spirit, you are always present with us in good and bad times. And we're blessed because you participate with us empowering us to new life in ways we often don't even recognize. And for this, we give thanks. Help us to live with our eyes wide open, in tune with the quiet hurts and hidden pains people beside us and around us carry with them, offering ourselves as a listening and healing presence to the world you created and so love. Amen. Okay. And um, I guess as this period of reflection and meditation, I invite you again to take a moment and um, maybe there was a time in our life when you sensed God's absence and uh, a particular challenging time. It may have been a loss or um, a time.
time of internal struggle or worry or concern for a child or a parent. And maybe ask God to open your eyes, the eyes of your heart, to how he was present and faithful with you and how God will continue to walk with you all the days of your life.